0: I've had the privilege of visiting a number of famous sites that people tend to want to see. Growing up in, in Indiana, I was able to go to St. Louis. And I've been up in the Arch. lived in Oregon and I went to the Space Needle. And that was an interesting experience because I have a fear of heights. And you're riding in this elevator that's glass enclosed and you can see the ground leaving you. That was far worse than actually being up there. Went to Paris to visit my sister years ago, and we went into the, up in the Eiffel Tower, and I did not go to the top of the tower because of my fear of heights, but I went to the second level. I saw the Arc de Triomphe, lots of things like that, and I'm sure you've had similar experiences. But I think one of the most memorable and profound and awe-inspiring places I've been is Mammoth Cave. Mammoth Cave is located in South Central Kentucky. And uh, growing up in Indiana, southern Indiana, our youth group took a yearly excursion to Mammoth Cave. And when it was in seminary in Kentucky, outside of Lexington, we went, I went down with some friends a few times. I've probably been there half a dozen times. And, and Mammoth Cave is 390 miles of underground caverns and tunnels. That's what they've explored so far. It is, it is a fascinating place, as long as you're not claustrophobic. There were people in our youth group who never would go in. And they said, you fine, have fun. I'm staying out here. Because I, I can't imagine the, the low ceilings and the narrowing walls of some of the places where you go. And, and when you go to Mammoth Cave, they, have, they offer 14 different tours that you can take, guided tours. Some are half hour long, up to four and a half hours long. And they rate them. Some are considered uh, easy some moderate, some strenuous. Some of the tours have height requirements, some have age requirements, some have physicality requirements, heart requirements, how much you can, you can walk and what you can do. but it 's a fascinating place. One of, one of my favorite memories there is being down there with some friends from seminary one time, and, and in the, near the base of the, what they 've explored there's a large open area, and they put a cafeteria in there. I guess they figure if you hike for a couple miles in those caves, you might want something to eat and make a little cash on the side at the same time. And so we were standing in line and all of a sudden we realized there's a payphone attached to the wall in Mammoth Cave. You know, you're hundreds of feet underground and there's a payphone there. We, We had this idea that we'd love to write down the number and someday at noon just call it and see what people would do. Might be a good candid camera experience. But there is a point in at least the two-hour tours that you take where you enter this vast open area and there are benches all around and everyone sits down and they turn out the lights. Man, that is darkness. You know, the darkness that we experience here, outside, is not true darkness because our eyes begin to adjust after a while. The moon, the stars... Ambient light from different sources is always around us. But when you're hundreds of feet underground and and you are a long ways from the entrance and the exits, it's just dark. You put your hand in front of your face, you can't see anything. You wiggle it around and tell them you do all these things. And one time I was there and they turned the lights on as everyone is doing all of this stuff, you know. (laughs) It is dark. Darkness. And every time I read this prologue of John's gospel, I think about that that experience in Mammoth Cave. Because John talks about the darkness in our world. We live in a world of darkness. All the way back to Genesis chapter 3, there's been darkness. Over and over again, we see darkness. All through the Old Testament, we read about the reality of darkness... We come to the, the nativity story and we see darkness. It boggles my mind that, that there would be no one, particularly a family member in Bethlehem, who wouldn't look at Mary and say, you know what, she's about to have a baby. I'll give her my room. Nobody. It, it's, it's amazing. And, and when, the, when the Magi come to Jerusalem and say, we've seen a star and we think it's a new king. And the, and the religious leaders go and they look it up in the book and they say, in the, you know, Micah, they say, yeah, it's in, it's in Bethlehem. They don't do anything else. Their apathy just caused them to close the book and go home. And Herod. Herod will go to any length to protect his power against what he perceives to be a rival. Darkness. But we don't really need all of that to, know, to prove that we live in darkness. Look around us. Read the news. Look at the world. War, violence, hate, greed, corruption, human trafficking, injustice. The darkness surrounds us. But it's not just the darkness out there. John is also talking about the darkness in here. Because every one of us struggles with darkness the darkness of our self centeredness, the darkness of rejecting God, the darkness of immorality and racism and apathy and hate and vengeance. We are people who wrestle with darkness. And the problem isn't that that there is darkness. The problem is we don't take the darkness seriously enough. But God does. And John says, Into the darkness, God sends the light. He sends the light of Christ into the darkness. John is enamored with the image of light. All through his gospel, he, he, he loves to talk about light more than any other New Testament writer. He refers to this image of light. In chapter 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Anyone who walks with me will no longer walk in darkness, but will walk in light. And again and again, John talks about the light and connecting it with Jesus. But John goes also back to Genesis. He begins his prologue, in the beginning was the Word. And as we said last week, anyone who had any familiarity with the Old Testament would know that would take them their mind right back to Genesis 1 in the beginning God. And in Genesis 1, the first recorded words of God are let there be light. And he speaks that light through Jesus into existence. It take, and that's why in, in the tabernacle, God says, I want you to light candles and they should burn continuously because they represent my presence. They represent my nature and my character and who I am in the world of darkness. And, those, and the same thing is true of the, of the temple. And that's why we light candles in worship. To remind us that God is present and of who God is in this world of darkness. But John takes it a step further. It's not just that the light has come, but he says, the light is stronger than the darkness. Now, the word in some translations is, it says, the darkness has not understood the light, in verse 5. That's the, the word understood, it's a little bit difficult word for scholars to translate. On the one hand, it has this sense of obtaining something, getting something. So, you go to the carnival and you get a prize for a game you play, or, or you, you get a house from a realtor, or you get an automobile from a salesperson, or, or you go to the store and, and you get a new product. It's something that you have and it's yours. And you have this material possession that you hold on to. And you can see where it wouldn't be a a difficult leap for that word to mean holding on, grasping a material possession to grasping an idea, obtaining it, understanding it, getting it. But the word also has this idea of, of overcoming. And John may well be saying that the darkness cannot overcome the light because the light is stronger than the darkness. That's not a hard concept. For us to grasp. We, we understand. The need. And the power of light. What are we tempted. To be most afraid. When it's dark. You're in a house alone. At night. It's dark. You hear a noise. Something about turning on a light. Makes you feel better. You've had a hard night of worry and fear. Something about the new light of dawn brings a sense of security. Something about light that that gives us courage that we don't have in the dark. You know, I think Geico has some of the most memorable commercials. You know, they, they had the, uh, the little gecko thing and they had the... The caveman, and, and now they started this series of things where people who use Geico are, ha- are happier than whatever. And one of the one of the current commercials shows it's three D animated, and, and it shows these two antelope out in out in the the uh, wilderness, it's like a Serengeti, and they're wearing night vision goggles. Have you seen that? And, and they, they, through their night vision goggles, they see a lion stalking a few hundred yards away. And they are trash-talking this lion. We can see you, Carl. We can totally see you, Carl. Why don't you become a vegan? Go home. And the lion sort of skulks away. And the commercial says, how happy your Geico customer is happier than Antelope with night vision goggles. It's kind of a goofy thing, but on the other hand, it does bring up the reality of what happens to us when we can see. When we can penetrate into darkness, because without light, there's fear, and there's anxiety, and there's worry. But light changes that. Light dispels it, eliminates it. And and John says that the light of Christ who has come breaks up the darkness. And the problem for us is we want the darkness to just be totally gone. We look around the world and we think, it still looks pretty dark to me. It was pretty dark when Jesus came and it's still pretty dark now. Is it really making any difference? Is it true that the light really has conquered the darkness? And we question that. And that's understandable because we want the light to fill the darkness and to eliminate the darkness. And someday, Revelation tells us, that will happen. The day will come when there will be nothing but light, when, when God ushers in his kingdom completely. And there will be light and no darkness. But until that day, we have to deal with the darkness And we get impatient about that. And we question God, is is it really going to happen? Uh, Do do we really have to wait for that? More like children at at Christmas who, who just can't wait to open their gifts on Christmas Day. And so a week or so before Christmas, they begin scrounging through the house trying to find their gifts. You know, under the bed, in the closet, behind the furniture. And they find it. And they pull it out, and they unwrap it, and they're jumping up and down. This is awesome. That's just what I wanted. And the excitement just overwhelms them for about 60 seconds. And they realize, I shouldn't have done that. I can't tell anybody about it. I have to pretend on Christmas morning that I didn't know this was coming... And I've missed out on the joy of everyone watching me open it and celebrating with me because I was impatient. Advent gives us the opportunity to be patient. Advent calls us to a mindset of waiting on God. Of believing that God is in control, that the light has indeed conquered the darkness, even though the darkness is still around us. And we still struggle with the darkness. I think one of the, one of the problems that the evangelical church has is, is for a long time we have tossed out the church calendar. And we're coming back to it a little bit more. But we just talked about Christmas and we didn't really talk about Advent. Advent. And I think it's because we're all about the bottom line. We're all about success. We're all about now. And we want everything to happen now. And we're just not very good at waiting. But Advent calls us to wait. Day by day. Day by day. Day by day. Moment by moment. And we're asking... When do we get there? When do we get there? And sometimes we get an answer, sometimes we don't. But we always hear God saying, wait, trust me. Believe me, the light is stronger than the dark. But John also tells us that despite... How powerful the light is. The world missed it. He says in, in verse, beginning in verse 10. He was in the world and though the world was made through him. The world did not recognize him. It actually shouldn't surprise us. Because the world, though, though the world was made by him. And he, and he imprinted himself into the world, people who aren't, weren't looking for him probably wouldn't see him. What's most shocking is what he says in verse 11. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. He came home. He came to the people who for centuries have been looking for him, waiting for him, yearning for him and he shows up and they miss him you scratch your hands and say how did that happen how is that possible maybe it's because of arrogance you know we're doing okay here life isn't perfect but it's pretty good we've, we've bought into the things of the culture what you call darkness we call enlightenment we're doing okay we don't really need Jesus Maybe it's because of of the things that have happened in their lives. Experiences that have hurt. Pains that have come to them have caused them to to close their eyes to the light and to miss it. Maybe the hypocrisy of people they trusted have, have caused them to be blinded to the light. Maybe it's about power. When Jesus came and he totally upset the the apple cart of of what power was about in that culture. And the people who had the power were told to release the power. And that didn't set well with them. And so they reject Jesus and, and they turn from him. I suspect a lot of it has to do with simple expectations. The people to whom Jesus comes are looking for a Messiah who will be born in a palace, not a manger. Who will be born to royalty, not commoners. Who will be raised and live his life in the seat of power and influence, not in a village on the outskirts of a nation. A Messiah who will come with swords clashing And waving a banner of war and power and might, not one who comes in humility and surrender and weakness and a cross. The secret of this is that you and I wrestle with expectations too. We have these ideas in our mind of, of how God is going to work in this world and, and how Christ is going to transform the world. And often, they are they look more like the culture than they do the scriptures. And that's why you will hear Christians say, if we could just get a little more influence in the White House, we could change things. If we could just get a little more influence in Congress, we would change things. If we could change the, the court system, then then the world would be different and Christ's kingdom would come. If we could just have more power and more influence and, and people would, would treat us better and, and we could do all that we wanted to do, then the, everything would be great. And all the while, there is a baby in a manger reminding us That the kingdom is about weakness. It's about caring for those who are vulnerable. Not those who are powerful. It's about giving our attention to the people who are the least of these. Instead of focusing all our attention on those who are the most. It's about compassion and humility and surrendering ourselves, giving up ourselves rather than grasping for everything we can get. And we miss him. We miss the work that he's doing because we're, we have so confined our ideas to what we think is right. That when God works in ways that are outside of that, we ignore it. Rejected. The problem isn't God's. It's our problem. The problem isn't that God hasn't given us enough information to know. John says the light that was coming into every person was coming into the world. In our Wesleyan tradition, we talk about that as prevenient grace. That in Christ... God has has stepped into the darkness and he has put light in the darkness of our world so that we have a conscience. So that as a world we know right from wrong, good from evil, moral from immoral. But it's more than that. It is light in us that leads us, woos us to what Christ is offering us. We are responsible because we all have light. We all have been given the opportunity to know that Christ is coming, that Christ is at work. The problem is choosing it. What we so often miss is that John's point really isn't so much about light as it is life. He says, in him was life. And that life was the light of all people. It's about life that God wants to bring to us. Abundant, genuine, real, full life. Everything that we were created to be and experience, Jesus comes so that we can know that. Everything that when we think about life and living it to the fullest, Jesus comes to help us experience that and so much more. Deep down in the recesses of our being, that yearning in our soul, for fulfillment. Jesus comes so that we can experience that and so much more. John loves to talk about life. More than any other New Testament writer, he talks about life. In a couple of chapters, he records Jesus saying, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And a few chapters later, Jesus says to his followers, I have come so you might have life and have it abundantly, fullness of life. All that you could ever hope for in life, I've come for that. And John says when we begin to understand life we realize that it's It's not just about us living on this earth, but it's about being children of God. And we're children of God not because of our race or our nationality or because of our socioeconomic status or because of our heritage. It's because of Christ. We are children of God because we have made a choice through the light that God has given us to say, I embrace Christ, I embrace His light. I surrender myself to his light and we become family with Christ and the people who receive Christ and embrace Christ. Those are the people God looks at and says, that's my daughter. That's my son. They're mine. They're mine. And he gathers us to himself as his children. There are different ways of of explaining what God does in that process theologically. And there are different images that people use to try to help us see that. But I've been intrigued lately by the image that I found in a book written by Jerry Walls and Joe Donjel. Imagine that you are a prisoner in the innermost recesses of a terrorist camp. Bound. Gagged. Blindfolded. Drugged. You have all of these. The, these delusions of thought. You, you couldn't. You can't begin to, to plead for your life. For one thing no one would hear you. And you have no way of, of planning an escape. You're just there. Truth be told, you've been there long enough that you've actually become acclimated to that dark, damp cell. And, and you become enamored with your captors so that even if someone were to come and offer to rescue you, you would fight them about it. The only, the only scenario for rescue is a divine one. And so God in Christ steals into that prison and makes his way to your bedside and he injects you with a serum so that your mind begins to clear and and your violent reactions begin to subside and he shines a flashlight around the room and he leans down into the bed and whispers, do you know where you are? Let me show you. Do you know who you are? Let me tell you. And he says, I've come to rescue you. I've come to make you my own. Let let me show you What they've made of you. Let me show you what what you've allowed them to do to you. It's in a small mirror. You see your sunken eyes and your frail body. It's still not quite registering with you, and so so Jesus says, "Let me. Can I show you pictures of what you once were? Can I show you pictures?" my wonderful plans for you in the years to come. And as he speaks, your heart begins to quicken just a little bit. And even in the dark, your eyes begin to focus. And Jesus leans down and he says, I suspect that maybe You think I've come to harm you. So let me show you something. Look at my hands. They're bloody. had to crawl over quite a, a roll of barbed wire to get to you. And then he leans in one more time. And he says, I want to carry you out of here. Right now. Just give me your heart. Trust me. And the light shines in the darkness. In this Advent season, do you see the light Maybe the darkness isn't that you, you've never you've never responded to Christ, but maybe it's something that you're wrestling with in your heart. And Christ looks into that darkness and says, "I want to rescue you from that. Just give me your heart. Trust me. I want you to live in the light." I want you to know true, genuine, real, abundant child of God life. Will you trust me? In this moment of silence, let's listen to God speak. Heavenly Father, thank you for invading the darkness with the light of Christ. For invading the darkness of this world and invading the darkness of our hearts. Let us be so enamored with the light of Christ we follow wherever it leads. That we give you our hearts so you can pick us up and rescue us. Let us trust you. And in trusting you, let us know the joy of life. We pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen.